Lord Jesus, you are the light of the world, the true light that came at that first Christmas. Help us, O Lord, to understand the meaning of your arrival and and to be willing to open our own hearts to receiving your light into our souls. For your sake we pray, amen. Well, a blessed Christmas Eve to you all. It's so good to see you here this evening. You know, one of my favorite things to do at this time of the year is to drive with my family around the neighborhoods and look at the Christmas lights that people have put up on their homes. Some of those displays are absolutely amazing. I can't imagine the number of hours some people put in in installing all these fabulous light displays, but it is fun to see. It's especially remarkable to me now as an adult because I remember as a kid, there just weren't that many lights, a lot like they are today. I remember the only kind of outdoor Christmas light was this really big bulb, about that big. Anybody remember those? I mean, they were different colors, but they're those old incandescent bulbs about that big. And you had smaller ones for your tree on the inside. That's about all they had. Nowadays, it's amazing the different kind of lights that are out there. There's large lights still, but there's also the little mini lights. There's incandescent lights and LED lights. There's lights, of course, of all different colors, red, green, white, blue, orange, purple, you name it. There's lights that look like icicles hanging off the house. Aren't we glad we don't really have icicles (laughs) hanging off? Amen, yeah, well, it's nice to look at, but yeah, right. There's lights that are projected on the walls of the homes, and some of those move around in different displays and different designs. There are lights that are strawberry-shaped and others that are raspberry-shaped. There are candy cane lights and chili pepper lights for us in the Southwest. There are lights that flash and lights that twinkle. There are lights that are synchronized with the sounds of Christmas carols, and you can tune your car radio to a certain radio station and follow along with the music and the lights as you watch them in front of people's houses. Amazing. There's these incredible light-up inflatable figurines of everything from Santa Claus to Star Wars characters. It's just an amazing display, an array, a variety of lighting. There's rope lights and net lights, spotlights and laser lights. And of course, then also there are the Miller lights and Coors lights, (laughs) Bud lights. Did somebody say dilly dilly? Just not when you're the driver, of course. Okay. Yeah, so many different kinds of lights at Christmas time. And there's nothing wrong with, with any of them, you know, even the dilly dilly lights. We Lutherans like our dilly dilly as well, in moderation, of course. But even with all these different kinds of Christmas lights, the world needs something more. The world needs what St. John called the true light. And Christmas is all about the coming of that true light. I mean, think about it. Is there any question that the world today needs the true light to shine in it? 
I mean, you and I don't have to look very hard or very far to recognize that there is a very real darkness in this world, a deep darkness. And it's a deep darkness that began the moment when the very first human beings, Adam and Eve, bit into the forbidden fruit. The story described in Genesis chapter 3 If you aren't real familiar with the story, I encourage you to take your Bible, open up to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, turn to chapter 3, read the whole chapter. It's the saddest story in all of history. When people who lived in a perfect world messed it up by disobeying God. And ever since that first sin, we've been living under a shadow, what the Bible calls the shadow of death. And darkness entered into the world. Darkness that permeates the soul. Darkness that is the result of that rebellion of the heart, that act of sin against God. And you know, if we're real honest, we can't just say, oh, it's all Adam and Eve's fault. Because there's a darkness inside of each of us, too. We sense it. We know it in our own conscience. Well, there was a deep darkness back in Isaiah's day as well, 700 years before Jesus, a darkness among the people of Israel. You see, the people of Israel for generations had strayed away from their commitment to the true God. Even the most of the kings of Israel led the people astray, worshiping false idols pagan gods and goddesses rather than worshiping the true God. And after many years of patience, God allowed even his own people to be captured by the Babylonian armies and taken away in exile a thousand miles to the east away from their homeland of Jerusalem to Babylon. Babylon, located about 50 miles from modern-day Baghdad, Iraq, far away from home. And they must have wondered, has God abandoned us for all of our wrongs? Has God forgotten about us for all that we did? Does God even care about us anymore? A deep darkness was upon the people. And into that darkness, Isaiah spoke these words of hope. Isaiah 9, verse 2. He said, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Prophetic words. A light has dawned. A great light has dawned. Don't you love living in Scottsdale? And and don't you love seeing the sunrise over the McDowell Mountains. That's a photo of the sun rising over our mountains to the east. It's a beautiful sight, isn't it? When the sun rises, first thing in the morning, it sets the day off right. And when I see the sunrise, I think of these words of Isaiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. And the great light of which Isaiah spoke was not the S-U-N, 
but the S-O-N, the Son of God, foretold here in prophetic promise. In verse 6 of the same chapter, 9, Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Into this world of darkness, God promised to send the true light. And he indicates that that true light would be a person. In the reading you heard a moment ago from John chapter 1, John the Apostle reiterates that the true light is a person. In the beginning was the Word, John says, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Did you catch that? The word was God and the word became flesh, human. God became man. The Christmas miracle is quite simply stated that God took on a human body. The Christ, that is the promised Messiah of Israel, is both God and man, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin woman. And there, in that stable, in that little town of Bethlehem, the true light entered into this world. And that baby in a manger is the only true light that can defeat the darkness. And after all, that's why he came. You know, various names have been um, associated with that baby of Bethlehem. We heard John, of course, referred to him as the Word. He's called Son of God. Son of Man, the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah referred to him as Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But here he refers to him as, in Hebrew, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, we say, which means God with us. God with us. You know, you can well imagine after Adam and Eve sinned, and sin just took over the world and death came upon the world. That God's looking down on his once perfect creation now spoiled. And he might have been tempted to say, I wash my hands of the world. He might have been tempted to keep his distance, to stay up in his holy kingdom and maybe even do away with the world. But that's not what he did. That's not what he did. God didn't keep his distance. He became God with us, Emmanuel. At times I've talked to people who are rather angry at God. And they ask a question. I think it's an honest question. It's a fair question. 
It usually comes from people who are struggling with some kind of suffering or loss. Or they look at the chaos in the world, the terrible things that people do to each other, and and they ask the question, why doesn't God, if he's loving, come down into this world and do something about it all? And I say, he did. He did. He wasn't content to stay distant. He's God with us, Emmanuel, in the person of his son. He came down into this world to do something about the darkness that we all know. The name that he was given upon his birth, the name actually that was announced to Mary and Joseph ahead of time by the angel Gabriel in Hebrew is Yeshua. In Greek, the New Testament language, Jesus. In English, we say Jesus. But the name, Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus, it all means one who saves or Savior. He was given the name, Jesus, which describes his very purpose for coming into the world, to be its Savior. See, the fact is that the manger of Bethlehem leads and points directly to a cross in Jerusalem. The two are intimately connected. Because at the cross on Calvary's hill is where that Savior went to give his life for you and me and for the whole world. Jesus lived out the meaning of his name for the benefit of sinful people, sinful people like me and like you, and like all people. He did it that we might have hope. See, the reality is that there is darkness, not only out there, but there's darkness right here inside of each one of us, in our souls. It's on our hands. It's on our lips. It's in our minds. And the problem is that we can't rid ourselves of that darkness. But Jesus can. He is the true light who came to defeat darkness and did so at his cross and his empty tomb. By his willing death for you and me, he removes our sin who trust in him. He forgives those who turn their sin over to him and trust him as their savior. The true light has defeated darkness by rising from the dead on the third day, guaranteeing eternal life to all who believe in him. He came to be the savior, the forgiver of sins. I'm reminded of another pretty prominent sinner from the Bible. When I mention his name, you don't initially think of him as a scoundrel and a sinner because we usually think of him as God's special man. Started off as a shepherd boy taking care of the sheep. Musically inclined, he wrote songs that became psalms in the Bible. He later became the king of Israel. You know who I'm talking about, David. David was a man who, after God's own heart, a man who was close to God in his faith, But even David had darkness within him. 
And in the saddest moment of his life, he took another man's wife for himself, committing adultery. And then he had that woman's husband executed on the battlefield. And then he lied about it and tried to cover it all up and make it seem all okay because he was the king. And God confronted David on his sin. And David repented. And what did God do? Did he say, David, you're beyond forgiving? David, what you did was too bad for me to wipe away? No. God forgave David all of his sin. For you see, that's the kind of God we have. A God who delights in forgiving the repentant sinner. And David, out of the response of his heart, wrote about his faith in the form of poems that he set to music that are psalms in the Bible today. One of those psalms, number 51, is his own prayer of confession of his sins. And in verse 7 of Psalm 51, he says, Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And indeed he was. Whiter than snow. You know, there's something especially beautiful about freshly fallen snow. Now, thankfully, we don't have to live in it. We don't have to drive in it, right? We're glad we don't have to deal with it every day. But boy, there's something beautiful about freshly fallen snow. It covers everything, makes everything white and pure. Such is the mercy, love, and forgiving grace of our God. And it's why God through Isaiah said these words. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. I told you David's story. I don't know your story. I don't need to know your story, but I know this. Each of us has one. It's a story that includes something from the past we regret. Maybe it's something you said that you wish you hadn't said. Something you did that ended up hurting someone you wish you hadn't done. Something you know in your heart of hearts was just plain wrong. And you regret it. We all have a story. Well, it's into that story that God speaks a word of grace. And you see, the message of Christmas is that Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus, was born to be your savior. That's why he came. That's what Christmas is all about. And he came to give his life to forgive all of your sins. He is that true light that wipes away all of your darkness. And though your sins might be like scarlet through your faith in Jesus, they are white as snow and so are you. That's the good news of Christmas. We have a little gift we want to give you when you leave tonight, one per family. It's a little Christmas ornament, snowflake. We'd like you to take this as a family and put it on your Christmas tree, not only to decorate your tree and make it more beautiful, but to let it serve as a reminder 
that through your faith in Jesus, you're white as snow. You are forgiven and free in him. When we receive the Lord's Supper in a few moments, we're going to have that added assurance of the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ, who makes us white as snow. Jesus is the true light who wants to shine in your heart and in your life, not just at Christmas time, but every day of the year. Every day of the year. He wants to shine in your heart. We have a wonderful preschool here at Shepherd of the Desert. There are about 200 preschoolers from age two to four in our school. I love to do chapel with the little kids. And our teachers do a wonderful job, not only educating them, but teaching them about Jesus. One preschool teacher was preparing a Christmas project for her students to make. And this is what she came up with. Cute little picture, huh? So she would have the student put their hand in paint and then put that down on the page to make the manger. And then little pieces of yarn are the hay, a couple pieces of felt for the body of Jesus. There's the Bible verse up there and the star up in the corner. And it reminds us, of course, of the story of Christmas. But what I really take away from this story is not only all of that, but the very fact that all of that is surrounded by a heart shape, the shape of love. And it reminds me of two things. It reminds me, first of all, of what Jesus later said about himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not go to hell, but will have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him. And all of that is by the love of God for you and me. But the second thing about that picture is that Jesus is inside the heart. And friends, your Lord Jesus, the true light, wants to be born anew in your heart as well. I pray that this Christmas you allow baby Jesus to take up residence in your heart and life. And that in spite of all the other lights out there, you let the true light truly shine within you. Let's pray. Ah, dearest Jesus, holy child, make thee a bed soft, undefiled within my heart that it may be a quiet chamber kept for thee. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, the true light born for you. Amen.